here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello again, and welcome back to Lucha of the Hidden Temple. My name is Dr. Nove, and this is your VoicesOfWrestling.com Lucha Underground review and recap for the weeks of June 10th and June 17th. Since last we spoke, I've been on a two-week sabbatical from my job and life in general. On June 11th, I celebrated another anniversary of being alive. I turned 29, and on June 12th, my band played another show, and we're doing pretty good with tips, bar sales, we're making money, I'm putting money in my band's pockets, putting money in my pockets, which is great because I keep having vet bills, it just never stops, that seems to be one constant in my life this year. My girlfriend of two months and I broke up, but I I don't need any hankies, gentlemen, because she left, and she left me with a shitload of fleas at my apartment because she doesn't take good care of her dogs. So I had to deal with bug bombing my house. I've had to give my cats flea baths. I have flea bites on my arms. I'm not happy about any of this stuff. It didn't have to be like this. But when you don't take care of your pets, eh, bad things can happen, especially to your ex-boyfriend. Also... In other news, I fired my doctor, Dr. Awful, who will refer to him as Dr. Awful for, you know, slander and perjury sake, all that sort of stuff. There's legal matters, and doctors don't like it when you call them the worst doctor in the world. But let's get into Dr. Awful. He's pretty fucking shitty. He misdiagnosed my flea bites as a fungal infection, and I got this issue with my shoulder. It's been a nagging issue for years. He was saying that it was like a torn tendon or a torn ligament. If you saw my shoulder, you would see that there's this bone protrusion coming out of my left shoulder. It's not normal looking. I finally had an MRI done on this, and I had an x-ray done on this. I have a floating clavicle. It's just clear out, separated from a shoulder. It sucks. It hurts. And it's not just a torn tendon or a torn ligament, as Dr. Awful, the worst doctor in the world, suggested. But this is par for the course. Dr. Awful, not the best doctor in the world, as his name might suggest. Let's get into this June 10th episode of Lucha Underground. This was not a birthday present. This was a birthday turd to start off my week of birthday festivities. Oh, I this was just not a good episode. So it begins. Drago is back. He's got bitchin' wings. He's almost kind of like Batman. I'm going to have a little bit of Batman on the brain here because that new Batman game just came out and it's fucking awesome. Then we go inside the temple and Vampiro 
He is apologizing for the incident last week involving Pentagon Jr. and Sexy Star. Vampiro's performance right here in this segment, so good, so good. He was really trying to contain himself, but we all know that he will eventually bubble over, and I just can't wait to see this angle play out. I don't know if I can't even wait for the angle to play out, but moments like this make me want to see the next chapter of this story. And so I think on that level, very, very effective. Next, we go to the ring. Dario Cueto, he's in the ring, and he announces that eight weeks from now, we're going to have Ultimo Lucha. And he says that it will be annual and that there will be a number one contenders match between Cuerno, Cage, and Hernandez to face Prince Puma for the Lucha Underground title, or maybe Prince Puma, for the Lucha Underground title at Ultimo Lucha. Speaking of Prince Puma, I heard that Ricochet has gone back to Japan. That's going to be a problem for this show, should it continue. Blue Demon, he's back. He wanted to be a part of this, and he's speaking with Dario Cueto. Dario Cueto says that Blue Demon needs a match to prove that he's in shape, and thus we're going to get Chavo Guerrero. So it's going to be Blue Demon in a suit versus Chavo Guerrero in an anything goes match. Chavo is, of course, flanked by the crew, and Chavo gets the early jump on Blue Demon. Blue Demon sends Chavo over the top, and then eventually the crew, or what's left of the crew, and Chavo, they get the numbers game on Blue Demon, and they're holding Blue Demon in the corner with a kendo stick. Blue Demon has a quick hope spot. He gets a kendo stick. He gets a stomping. There's a double stomp by Cisco that is transitioned into a DDT by Cortez Castro, and then the crew holds Blue Demon Jr. for the frog splash. I can't even believe that this was a fucking match. There's nothing more to say about this match other than Blue Demon matches are boring. And right now, Chavo doesn't have a strong record for having the most interesting matches in the world either or on this show. This was not the Lucha Underground opening match that gets you ready for tonight's episode. This was the Lucha Underground, oh, we're, we're having a match. Oh, Blue Demon's wrestling. Oh, okay, that's real neat. After the match, Chavo is backstage and he's talking to Black Lotus who's in the cell across the way from Matanza. And he says that what he did to Blue Demon was a statement. I guess that statement is that if you give me two more guys than you've got and you give me weapons, I'm going to fucking win this match. Big statement. Dario Cueto is descended upon by Drago and Drago wants a title shot. Drago puts his mask on the line to get into this main event, so it's now going to be a four-way between King Cuerno, Cage, and Hernandez. If it sounds like I'm going through this a little bit faster than normal, it's because there's not a whole lot to say about this. You know, We're bringing Drago back into the mix. It's really the point of this week's episode. And this next match continues on that trend of just being a match for filler's sake, but there's some serious issues with this match. The Disciples of Death with Katrina versus the team of Masquerita, Pimpernella Escarlita, and Bengala. The lights flicker when the Disciples of Death enter, and I liked that. I think the presentation is key for the Disciples of Death, although they probably should have entered second. Costuming matters a lot with the Disciples of Death, and frankly, their costuming, not really awesome. I'm not feeling the one dude in the shirt, I feel like the Disciples of Death should basically look interchangeable. I don't want to know their names. I think them having names is confusing, although I can understand why you'd want to do that on a grander scheme. But really, these guys should just be three dudes who are just dudes. They're thugs. They're just there. 
You have a neat white versus black contrast between the Disciples of Death versus the team of Masquerita, Pimpernella, and Mangala. I liked that. And then we begin the match. Pimpy starts out looking strong, showing off some toughness and doing comedy spots, which leads to an arm drag sending one of the Disciples of Death to the outside. And Pimpy humps somebody and then Pimpy tags in Bengala. Striker and Vamp hit you with every single cat pun you could come up with. And during this, Bengala does a handspring, knocking the Disciples of Death, knocking one of the Disciples of Death off of the apron. Bengala gets double teamed by two of the Disciples of Death, and then he goes under the apron and trips them. Bengala does a lion salt from the apron to the inside to both the Disciples of Death who are laying down on the ground. Bengala reverses a powerbomb, which sends the shirted Disciple of Death to the outside, and then he delivers a corkscrew from the top rope to the outside. Maskey gets tagged in, and then he gets trounced because Masquerita is supposed to be small. Why is this match happening? And why is this match anything other than a squash for the Disciples of Death? There was way too much back and forth in this match. Pimpy gets trounced on the outside along with Bengala, and the Disciples of Death start going to town on Masquerita. They toss Pimpy by the hair, they body slam Masquerita on the outside, they stomp and knee Bengala. Masquerita attempts his victory roll, and it goes pretty poorly, and Pimpy tries to help clean this up. This whole thing looks kind of clunky. Bengala gets double teamed by the Disciples of Death, who deliver their first what you would typify as a flashy move, which is a springboard dropkick from one member while the other two hold Bengala on their shoulders. Kind of like a back body drop, but not quite like a back body drop. Almost like a double team doomsday device. That kind of positioning. They're both sitting on the shoulders. Or they both have Bengala sitting on their shoulders. And then the drop kick comes in. Pimpy knocks two of the Disciples of the Death to the outside, but starts showboating as Pimpy is prone to do, and then gets cut off by the remaining Disciple, getting choked on the rope, and then receiving the Lick of Death by Katrina. Pimpy gets raised into a trio crucifix and flapjacked. The Shield 3.0, because obviously Joey Mercury and Jamie Noble are the Shield 2.0. The the Shield 3.0, these guys are not. Pimpy and Maskey are moving quickly from being comedy fan favorites to jokes in a bad way. I just did not like this match. This was also the debut of Bengala. I'm fine with Bengala eating a loss here, but really, why aren't the Disciples of Death just destroying Twiggy Ricky, Famous B, and Vinny Massaro, a team of jobbers or something like that? Why do they have to be people that we have any degree of emotional attachment to at all? Not a great match, not a great debut for the Disciples of Death. And this, if the Drago putting his mask on the line thing to get into the main event, and more importantly, or better example, Vampiro apologizing for last week, is something that gets me ready for something coming up here. This did the opposite of that. This made me kind of uninterested in all of these characters. My flagging interest in this episode received a brief reprieve when we went to Dario Cueto's office where the newly healed Johnny Mundo donning sunglasses with crosses on them. I will spare you a repeat of the rant from the last episode, but seriously, consider the symbolism of putting crosses over your eyes of all places. Johnny Mundo is in Dario Cueto's office. Johnny Mundo says that he should be the number one contender and he should be facing Prince Puma at Ultimo Lucha. Dario Cueto tells Johnny to have a seat and that he believes that Johnny will in fact be in the main event 
but as the champion, because Dario Cueto really likes that unpopular booking move of heel versus heel, especially at his big event, apparently. Dario says that he's for reals with starting fresh with Johnny, though, as we've seen, Dario's not one to just let bygones be bygones, and that Dario really bought in when Johnny was being so badass a few weeks ago that Alberto El Patron tried to escape from him by jumping through the window of Dario Cueto's office in what we can only typify as an extreme act of cowardice. Dario wants to see Mundo unleashed, and so next week, Prince Puma will face Johnny Mundo all night long, like the Lionel Richie song. Mundo puts back on those sunglasses that I hate, and that ends the scene. It is main event time for our June 10th episode, and it hasn't been a very good episode, so why should this main event be any different? It is Cage versus King Cuerno versus Hernandez versus Drago, and the stipulations for this match are as follows. It is one pinfall, the winner becomes number one contender, and if Drago loses, he cannot wrestle in the temple ever again, and it's not like last time where he was banned from the temple and then he came right back six weeks later. This is for real this time, damn it. And his mask is on the line. Hernandez comes to the ring. He is debuting his cross onesie this week, complete with a cross that extends from his chest and torso area to just below his waistline. (sighs) Melissa Santos explains to the crowd the stipulations concerning Drago and the stakes of his return to condition the crowd response to be firmly behind Drago in case there might be some confusion in the crowd. Striker and Vamp... In the booth, they're a little bit confused that Dario Cueto has done this, but that makes sense because the people in the house, the believers of the temple, Stryker and Vamp, they are not cued into the dramatic irony that we are cued into. See, we get to see all these cutscenes behind the scenes, and the people in-house don't. That's dramatic irony. Then we go to commercial. After we get back from the commercial break, our match begins. And for me, these four-way matches, they're nothing more than a breakdown of spots because it feels like ring psychology isn't present. And this match is a really good example of how I feel like there's a lack of ring psychology, especially when it's one pinfall wins it. You're going to have the two guys pairing off here a lot during this match. And the issue with that kind of move is that you really should be focusing on whoever's in the ring. There's really no good reason to be outside the ring. So it doesn't make sense when the match begins with the four guys pairing off and you have Cage and Hernandez immediately going to the outside and having a hurl each other into the guardrail contest while Drago and Cuerno are inside the ring trading pin attempts. Drago delivers a face buster to King Cuerno. King Cuerno retaliates with the European uppercut off of the ropes. Hernandez and Cuerno spar for a little bit inside the ring, and eventually Hernandez gets the better of King Cuerno until Cage comes in. Cage delivers some really ugly-looking kicks. Jeez Louise, Cage. No more kicks. No more kicks. And he fells Hernandez. Cage holds down the ring while Vampiro says that these guys are agile. A bunch. Cage and Cuerno deliver a double team to Hernandez after sending him off of the ropes. Drago gets into the ring again, delivers a Hurricane Rana to King Cuerno, and he gets stopped by Cage. Cage and Cuerno send Drago to the outside. Cage and Cuerno, still working together, deliver a double suplex to Hernandez, which squares him up from a splash from either corner. 
Cage delivers an elbow from the top ropes, and King Cuerno delivers a splash from the top ropes. Drago delivers a senton that King Cuerno instinctively avoids, and he lands on Hernandez. Cage attempts to send Drago out of the ring again. Drago hangs onto the apron and does a low bridge to Cage when he gets close, sending Cage to the outside. Drago catches King Cuerno with another Hurricane Rana. King Cuerno is like always on the receiving end of Hurricane Ranas, it seems. Drago, Cage, and Cuerdo are in the ring, and Drago, rather inexplicably, tries to double clothesline both Cage and Cuerdo, who have spent most of this match working together, and he receives a powerbomb backstabber combo for his troubles. I mean, seriously, why are you double clotheslining two guys who are both bigger than you individually? Cuerno and Cage are starting to get fired up at each other in the middle of the ring, and this is really the angle that had the most interest to me in this match, and we don't get much of it other than, like, these guys are competing against each other and keep finding themselves in matches where they're sort of kind of against each other, but sort of kind of working together through most of these matches, too. I don't know. I'm ready for this angle to go somewhere, maybe turn King Cuerno face or turn Cage face. It it depends. It feels like these guys came in and there was a head of steam behind them. And then especially Cage, it's like the intrigue has really dropped off with this guy and he's found himself lower in the card than he really should be when he was a very formidable rival for Prince Puma early on in the show. Drago finds his way back into the mix. He gets caught by Cage again and then he gets discarded. Hernandez, on the other hand... He gets into the ring and he delivers one of his signature shoulder blocks that sends King Cuerno to the floor. You do not want to receive a Hernandez shoulder tackle. Let me tell you what. Hernandez and Cuerno square off in the middle of the ring with Cuerno playing ever so slight face. He does a little bit of gesturing to the crowd, which is why I think eventually King Cuerno might be turning face. That's just a guess. I, I have nothing more than that. Or at least they have some sort of plans for this guy. King Cuerno is in control until Hernandez delivers, you guessed it, another one of his devastating shoulder blocks. And this basically obliterates King Cuerno and they get the stretchers out for him. It's not that bad, but you get the idea. That shoulder block was just devastating. Drago delivers a Hurricane Rana to Cage outside of the ring. Drago and Hernandez square off in the ring. Drago does a splash from the top ropes. And then we see Killshot, and he's hanging out on a perch. So Killshot might find himself into the mix, and he's probably going to find himself into the mix with King Cuerno if there's any indication by the way the rest of this match plays out. Cage throws Hernandez into the outside guardrail and re-enters the ring. Cage and Cuerno square off until Drago again interrupts and attempts to take on both of them because he learns nothing at all, ever. Like before, this doesn't go so hot, and Drago finds himself in a fireman's carry by King Cuerno, which transitions into a rolling senton and a standing moonsault by Cage and a stomp from Cuerno from the second rope or the top ropes. I don't remember which one. Hernandez comes in and does a gut-wrench rack gut buster, and then... Cage delivers a variation of the best moonsault ever to Hernandez. This looked awesome. I mean, Cage is really good at these agility spots. And there's nothing wrong with Cage talent-wise other than I feel like his psychology isn't awesome. So he flourishes in these matches. And that was true even the first time I was exposed to him back when I was still doing the Stipulation podcast and he made an appearance on TNA. I don't watch a lot of indies, guys. I I watch wrestling for my job, I watch wrestling for this website, and there's only so much watching TV really I can do in a week period, I also have to stare at a computer screen a lot, so I don't really like watching stuff, it hurts my eyes, 
so I don't get to watch all these indies. There's just only so many hours in a week, and I have shows and other things. I'm not going to sit here and justify my life to you, damn it. We've got a match to break down. Drago springboards off of King Cuerno's back to hit Cage with a drop kick. Drago hits King Cuerno with yet another Hurricane Rana, and then Cage and Hernandez brawl in the ring. Eventually... Hernandez launches himself over the top ropes and delivers a crossbody to both Drago and King Cuerno. Cage goes to the top and delivers a moonsault to the outside where no one really catches him all that well. Ouch. Just ouch. After gesturing in Killshot's direction, King Cuerno delivers the arrow to Drago and Cage. Hernandez ducks out of the way, as he is wont to do, leaving Cage to take the arrow, and then... Cage is favoring his knee on the outside. King Cuerno rolls back inside the ring. Hernandez looks like he's going to do the inside-out shoulder tackle with one of his bionic shoulders, but he's stopped by Drago, who delivers a powerbomb that sends Hernandez from the apron to the ground outside. The crowd's getting behind Cuerno a little bit when Drago comes back in, goes all great muda on King Cuerno, spitting the green mist into his face, and then he rolls up King Cuerno with the Dragon's Lair. Protecting King Cuerno a little bit here and teasing a little bit of a heel direction for Drago. After the match, Prince Puma comes into the ring. The crowd splits, and Puma plays nice guy, extending his hand and showing approval for Drago. I think he's happy for Drago. He feels kind of bad about the way things went down, and this absolves Prince Puma of guilt. I have no problem with this. This is a natural thing. Sometimes you do a bad thing, and then everything works out, and you can come in and act like, yeah, I know that you should have probably won the title in that one match, and Hernandez, and all of that, but you know, it's cool, man. You know, everything worked out, right? It's cool. You're here. Katrina is in Dario Cueto's office, and she says that Dario made a mistake by not putting Mil Muertes in the match, and that Dario is in Mil Muertes' way. That's not a place you want to be. In two weeks, Mil Muertes is going to face Drago for the number one contendership because Dario Cueto wants to get Katrina off of his back, at least for right now. Katrina reiterates that Matanza is no match for Mil Muertes, and then she vanishes, ending our June 10th episode. Not a great episode, and obviously this all-night-long episode, much, much, much better. If you didn't feel like you got enough action in this episode, you're certainly going to have plenty next week. And it also keeps the two-week Lucha Underground cycle that they seem to like to write in intact. Sabbath Holy here on Lucha of the Hidden Temple. Guys, this June 17th episode of Lucha Underground, my God, this is a great television show. This is a great hour of wrestling television. This match isn't my match of the year. However, it's definitely going to be in my top five matches of the year for sure. 
I think right now, Kota Ibushi and Shinsuke Nakamura from Wrestle Kingdom is leading my list right now. But, you know, we'll see where everything shakes out. It's only the end of June. But this was such a good episode of Lucha Underground. It made the little shit satchel that we got last week totally worth it because this, this is why you watch wrestling. This is bell-to-bell action. And as far as a singles match goes, I think that this match had something for everyone. If you are someone who likes the big table spots, we've got some of that for you. If you're someone like me who likes a little bit of the mat wrestling, likes to see some of that going on, we get a little bit of that. If you're someone who likes the high spots, well, there's going to be plenty of those. If you're someone who likes good drama and storytelling going on during your matches, you've got that as well. This is just a great wrestling match from bell to bell, and they did it the entire episode as advertised, save for a few packages right at the beginning of the show, which really just contextualize things for the viewers so that when Alberto El Patron shows up later, you're not like, wait a second, who the fuck is this guy? It all makes sense when you just watch the episode as an encapsulated event. So this match begins with Prince Puma in the ring and Johnny Mundo in the ring. We're not even wasting time doing intros here. I think this was just a smart move. Just get him right in the ring. Let's do this. And the bell rings after Melissa Santos explains the rules. Prince Puma goes for the handshake. Will Johnny Mundo accept? And he does. This is really neat. This is a nice little character development that is showing and not telling. Mundo's frustrated. There's no doubt. We've seen this new side of Mundo. We've seen the this is my world Johnny Mundo. But underlying the character is a guy who has gone from promotion to promotion and never really been the top guy. Matt Stryker puts that out on commentary as well. But I think you see it just shown in the ring. He still likes Prince Puma on some level. It's not like he's become this scurrilous heel like Pentagon Jr. with no moral compass. Mundo still knows right from wrong. He's just now willing to do wrong to get what he wants. And I think he still ultimately likes Prince Puma. Vampiro, trying to put over Prince Puma's sportsmanship and his spirit of goodwill, refers to him as a class warrior, which doesn't mean what you think it does, Vampiro. And then the match begins with some really great wrestling holds being exchanged at a nice snappy work rate, so it actually comes off as plausible wrestling. I really enjoyed the first few minutes of this match. I thought this was nice, good technical wrestling. I don't want to necessarily see an entire show of this, but I like to see some of this at the beginning of my match, so it feels like I'm watching a sporting event, and then you go for the high spots that feel a little less sporty and are a little more worked. It's having these wrestling holds and these hammer locks and all that sort of thing that gives us the backdrop of sport. They're going blow for blow and hold for hold until Johnny Mundo sends Puma to the outside. He attempts a corkscrew plancha. He misses that corkscrew plancha, lands on his feet because Johnny Mundo's hella nimble, and you see that throughout this match. And then Prince Puma delivers a corkscrew plancha, which takes us to the commercial break and takes Johnny Mundo off of his feet. We come back, and after some near-fall action, Puma sneaks a three-count with a nicely executed victory roll, which had a little crispness on it that I really admired. Stryker 
quotes Robert Frost while Vampiro complains about how Marty Elias counted too fast. I thought that was weird and we never revisited that again. I don't know where any of that was coming from. Stryker then tells us that we can check our clock at home to see how much time is left in this match. Why? Because there is no clock on the screen. Because this isn't live, I guess? But there really should be. And what's weird is that later on, and in certain points of the match, there will be a clock. So you go fucking figure out what that means. Johnny Mundo attempts to go for the Findel Mundo, but Prince Puma blocks this, grabbing Johnny Mundo's leg. Johnny inartfully goes to bridge over Prince Puma who's on the ground and he uses the ropes for leverage hoping to take advantage of an out of place Marty Elias except Marty Elias fucks up this spot pretty fucking hard about as hard as you could by landing right underneath Mundo and in between Puma and the ropes in such a way that if he was going to look up he would just see Johnny Mundo straddling the ropes and it, it, it was bad it was I mean it's as bad as I describe this either comes off as corrupt or inept and we move right away from it so it's just Marty Elias fucking it up big time and at least the crowd didn't take him to task although if they did take him to task we didn't see it because we go to a commercial break right after this Johnny Mundo shows his hands to show that it's 1-1 and then makes a T for timeout. And then we get our crowd member who is effectively loud and gets himself picked up on the mics twice in this episode. The crowd member says, there's no timeouts in wrestling, Johnny. I loved that. We come back from commercial and I get the clock that I was asking for with the time remaining just like I wanted for about 5-10 to 10 seconds and then they take it away from me like so many of my dreams. Mundo's in control coming out of the commercial break until he attempts to deliver a move to Puma, who he sets up on the top turnbuckle. Puma comes to on the top turnbuckle, and then they start trading blows on the top turnbuckle. Johnny falls to the apron, and Puma does a hurricane rana from the top ropes to Johnny, who is on the apron. It sends them both to the floor. It's a pretty crazy-looking spot. Mundo tries to crawl underneath the ring, dragging out a wooden box and a steel chair. Stryker says, as long as he doesn't drag out a little person from underneath the ring, we're good. I see you, Stryker. I see you, Stryker. Puma delivers a fireman's carry into a driver onto the wooden box. Johnny has a crowbar and goes to town on Puma, eventually getting him a pinfall. Vampiro says to cover him again, and Stryker places emphasis on Mundo being cocky, but then Mundo basically proves them wrong, doing the moonlight drive and then getting another pinfall to make it 3-1. Mundo sets up Puma for the Findel Mundo, connects, and makes it 4-1, further making Matt Stryker kind of look like a goob. At this point, Mundo then exhibits the ego that Matt Stryker was just a sconch too early to highlight, but, you know, timing is everything in this business. And he calls for water, Johnny Mundo does, because he is parched, and this is a star, and he's from Hollywood, damn it. Mundo taunts Puma, drinking the water and then eventually hitting Puma in the face with the water bottle, and then Puma shows some life, pulling himself up in the corner. Puma eventually hits a high-impact DDT on Johnny Mundo, and Johnny Mundo regroups on the apron and hits Puma with a just-excellent neckbreaker through the middle ropes onto the apron, sending Puma to the outside. This was such a brutal and awesome-looking spot. These are the type of things that I like in my wrestling, so make of that what you will, or consider that when you consider my biases. After the commercial break, Johnny Mundo grabs a ladder and decks Puma with it. That same crowd member who I was marking out a little while ago goes, Damn it, Johnny, that's a person! 
I love that guy. That guy's my my friend. We could hang out. The crowd, pleased that they are finally getting tables and ladders after they've been chanting for them for a while, they start chanting what I would consider non-secretarially, SL Lucha, but this is really not Lucha Libre in the traditional Mil Mascaras crossbody from the top ropes to the inside of the ring. This is hardcore wrestling a la ECW at this point. And this is what's great about this match is that it changes gears in all these different ways. I get my cool neckbreaker to the apron spots and my chain wrestling. You or somebody else gets the table spots and all the other shit and the storytelling and stuff that, it's not shit, but it's not the stuff that I'm necessarily into. It's the stuff that someone else is into. And this match has a little bit for everyone. That's a good match. Johnny Mundo sets up two tables and then sets Prince Puma on those two tables. Mundo climbs the guardrails using a ladder, and then Prince Puma comes to, which leads to Johnny Mundo and Prince Puma fighting in the stands. Prince Puma delivers a suplex to Johnny Mundo on this stairs kind of area in the stands, and now we're into our Memphis brawling section of the match. Hey, as I said, something for everyone. Prince Puma marches to the ring, and he grabs a third table to add on top of the other two tables. Puma then grabs a fourth table, and now we have a two-level, two-table tower going on there. Try saying that three times or four times fast. Prince Puma attempts to suplex Johnny Mundo. He gets blocked, and Johnny Mundo super kicks Prince Puma off of the guardrail to the floor. Johnny uses the ladder to go onto the bandstand, and he grabs the microphone. He reminds everyone of the score, he draws heat from the crowd, and then demands that the band plays a song for him. Stryker refers to the accordion player in this band as M. Bison, because he does kind of look like M. Bison, and the band plays on. Puma grabs the ladder, and then as Puma is coming up the ladder, Johnny Mundo goes to grab a 2x4. He goes to hit Prince Puma, but Prince Puma takes the 2x4 and hits Johnny Mundo. Puma then grabs the gimmicked guitar that has a flag of Mexico on it and then delivers the El Cabong to Johnny Mundo and then tackles Johnny Mundo off of the bandstand and through the two-table tower to take us to another commercial break. We come back from the commercial and someone in the editing booth thought that something on Lucha Underground, this is a crazy idea here, guys, this is fucking crazy, might merit some goddamn replay for once. And then they reshow a big spot. What a fucking novel idea. You know, if someone was running off of Dario Cueto's office and delivering a dropkick, let's say this dropkick was being delivered to, I don't know, say a dude on a ladder, you might want to replay that. I'm just saying, you might want to replay that. Prince Puma rolls Johnny Mundo back into the ring, and he gets a pinfall, which kind of needed to happen at this point, but was also kind of anticlimactic, and if I were editing this, I would have shown Prince Puma get the pinfall, and then have Matt Stryker say, we're going to regroup, and we'll be right back, and then come back and continue this match. As it were, breaking up that continuity, I didn't think helped anything. At this point, we have Johnny Mundo, and he's now showing some color, bleeding from the bridge of his nose. This is all the more reason why I would have waited and come back and said, during the commercial break, Johnny Mundo started bleeding from that big fall, and let's show you what that was again, and let's show you why Johnny Mundo is bleeding from his nose now. Just my thoughts on this. 
Johnny Mundo and Prince Puma exchange blows, and Prince Puma connects with a big enziguri, another move, and then he delivers a driver out of a reverse suplex setup. All of a sudden, now the score gets closer because Prince Puma scores another big pinfall, and Matt Stryker implores Prince Puma to go for the big one and shoot the three-pointer, throw the Hail Mary, and every other sports metaphor that makes a hell of a lot more sense when the score is 4-1 than when the score is 4-3. Normally, at this point, what you say is, you just need to get a single, kid. You just need to get on base, and then we'll figure out how to drive in that run. Especially when there's nine minutes left in showtime, and who knows how many minutes in Magical Lucha Minutes. Johnny Mundo starts running to literally run out the clock that we can't see, and so you have this entire section where Johnny Mundo is running away from Prince Puma, and there's no clock, and if you're going to do this sort of spot, and you're trying to say that the guy is running out the clock, you need to show the clock that he's fucking trying to run out. I'm sorry, but I feel like this is fairly prima facie. It's fairly obvious. At this point, Johnny Mundo gets back into the ring, and then he gets caught with a kick from Prince Puma. Mundo goes down and Prince Puma goes up to the top ropes to do either the 630 or the Phoenix Splash. He does a Phoenix Splash. There's nobody home. And then Johnny Mundo hightails it up to the stairs. Alberto El Patron shows up and he kicks Mundo in the face and beats him up. And then kicks Johnny Mundo down the stairs and throws Mundo into the wall of the office where, you know, Alberto El Patron went through the window of. And then he throws Johnny Mundo into the announce table and delivers a DDT to the outside. He throws Johnny Mundo back into the ring. Prince Puma delivers a springboard 450 to tie it up at 4-all. At this point, Alberto El Patron grabs a microphone and then tells the crowd and us at home what we already know. He's doing this because he's not happy with Johnny Mundo, and that he's even the match, and that he and Johnny aren't done, and if Prince Puma wins, Alberto El Patron is coming as well, but you already knew that, and really, in this case, this is everything we already knew. Alberto could have said nothing, and this all would have made perfect fucking sense. But now, it's three minutes of fury, and our clock is back on the screen. At this point, I think Melissa Santos doing a three-minute warning or a five-minute warning, or even just doing an incremental five-minutes-gone-by sort of thing, that would have really added to the temporal element of this. And if there's one thing that I would dock off points on in my final grades, it's that I didn't feel like this quote-unquote all-night-long match took advantage of the temporal element, the time limit of this match, as well as it could have, because we just didn't see the timer on the screen, and when Johnny Mundo's running around, you don't see the clock. These are all things that we just covered, but I think this is a recurring problem. So now we're into this fast and frantic final three minutes of the match, and a bunch of near falls ensue. Johnny Mundo delivers a standing Spanish fly that looks just great, and the crowd totally bites on this as a near fall because of the way this match has been structured and booked. You don't need your finisher to win. Now, what would have been nice on top of this is if throughout the match, commentary had been talking about gradual fatigue and how this match wears you down, and a match formatted like this wears you down. So, Things that would normally finish you off or might not normally finish you off now could. You have Vampiro go, 
I'll tell you what, after the 30 minute mark, even a vertical suplex or a back body drop can take the wind out of you and it can be enough to get a three count. Things like that add uncertainty, add greater drama, and I think play perfectly into this type of match. This match is about time, it's about fatigue, it's about wear and tear, it's about endurance. You know, that's why WWF used to refer to this as the Iron Man match. And then, Johnny Mundo sets up Puma for the top rope Hurricane Rana, but he's unable to connect with it, and he takes this great-looking bump off the top ropes. Puma knocks Mundo down with a running drop kick, measures Mundo for the 630, and it's game over, man. Your winner, and still the champion, is Prince Puma as time runs out on Johnny Mundo. The crowd chants, that was awesome, and indeed it was. And that brings us to the end of our June 17th episode of Lucha Underground. This was a present indeed, and I enjoyed this episode a hell of a lot. It's extremely watchable, and if I was going to turn a friend of mine onto Lucha Underground, I'd show them this episode. Because if they don't like this, they're never going to like this product, plain and simple. Alrighty, that's going to do it for another episode of Lucha of the Hidden Temple. Before I go, I want to just say, go to VoicesOfWrestling.com to do all of your shopping. I know that sounds a little bit weird. You don't think Voices of Wrestling when you think about shopping. But hey, here's the deal. You can go, and we have links to WWE.com shop, and we also have links to Amazon. And when you do your shopping through VoicesOfWrestling.com, what happens is that the website gets a kickback, and that helps keep the light on for all of these great podcasts. It helps keep the webpage up. It helps keep the servers up. There's a lot of expenses that go into running a website. Take it from a guy who's run on other podcasts and still has to deal with the legacy costs on that. It's not inexpensive, and it sure as hell ain't free, although this podcast is free to you. The way you can help keep it free and help keep the advertisements off of it is by going to VoicesOfWrestling.com and doing your shopping on Amazon.com and doing your shopping on WWEShop.com through our website portal. It helps. It really does. I want to thank you for doing it in advance. As for me, I am Chris Novembrino, C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V, E-M-B-R-I-N-O and you can find me on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V E-M-B-R-I-N-O Novembrino is my name-o It's been a pleasure having you here again Take care and until the next one Cheers Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.